Eric is the champion of the world. This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here's your champion, Eric Barnes, along with Jack Frew. Actually, guys, isn't Taylor Otwell the champion of the world? Hey, everybody. We've got some breaking news on Spark that we just wanted to kind of splice into this podcast. We do the podcast recordings uh, on Friday afternoons, and then we edit them on the weekend, and we put them out on Tuesday. This information, uh, some of it just came out this morning. Some of it came late last night. Taylor has announced a release date for Spark. It is going to be two weeks from today, the day that we are putting this out. This is Tuesday, the 5th of April. It's coming out on Tuesday, the 19th of April at 10 a.m. He's also announced that the price of Spark is going to be $99 per launched project. And the way it works is you'll pay $99 to gain access to a Spark download. And I I don't know, I can't tell from the, the tweets yet with whether you also need to pay the money to even see like the documentation or if the documentation viewing is free. But the way he's worked it out, I think this is pretty fair. $99 per launched project. And the example that he gives is if you have 10 ideas and you set up 10 dev environments on your machine and you use Spark on all 10 of those, but only one of them actually launches and becomes a public project, then you're only required to purchase one copy of Spark. If you have, uh, let's say, 10 ideas on your dev environment and two of them launch, then you're required to purchase two copies of Spark. Now, you will have purchased the first copy when you download it the first time to play with it, so you would just need to buy one more copy. That's as I am reading it right now. Of course, it's all subject to change. But anyway, lots of good tweets. If you aren't already following uh, Taylor Otwell on Twitter, at Taylor Otwell, is where I'm seeing all this information, and maybe there's some stuff on the Laravel channel too. I don't know. Now on to our regular podcast. Welcome to the Laravel News Podcast. I'm Eric Barnes, your current reigning champion of the world. And with me as always is Jack Frew. How are we doing, Jack? I'm doing great. Thanks for joining us for episode 13. Yeah. The What would we call this? The number that some people have a superstition about. Yes. In, uh, in the United States, at least, a lot of buildings that are taller than uh, 12 floors don't have a 13th floor. They skip it. You go on the elevator and there's no 13 because of some superstition that I don't even know what the, I don't even know what the background of that is. Do you? I have no idea. I just, uh, I, I just know either. we're, we're officially t- a teenager now. So that's true. So that's cannot. true. And probably, probably good that we don't know it because this is a podcast about Laravel, not about elevators and uh, floors. So uh, <laughs> we won't waste a lot of time on that. We do have some pretty cool stuff to talk about this, uh, this week though. So Eric, do you want to go over just a quick, uh, table of contents for uh for our listeners so they know what to expect yeah sure we um in this episode we have a few little chrome uh performance tip and a new uh, laravel test creator plugin a new app released by titan called jigsaw which is like a flat file cms mysql jack's still having some problems with that and then uh userscape released a new tool called uh Vault. I think that's uh, about all we have on the. I think we were also going to talk about taxes because at least in the U.S., it's tax time is coming up for a lot of folks. Um, what was the uh, Laravel exception recorder? Is that the same as the Chrome thing, or is that different? No, that that one's actually different. Um, okay, you want to go ahead and we'll start with that one. Um, so what it is is a new new package called Laravel exception recorder and notifier package. And what that does is basically it hooks into your Laravel app and anytime an exception happens, it sends a notification through email or Slack. That is like a brilliant idea. I'm like so excited about this. Like I'm sitting here looking at it because I didn't know what it was. And as you're talking about it and I'm like reading it, I'm like, is that what I think it is? Like, that's totally cool. Yeah, it's it's and just looking, it actually supports email, pushover, Slack, hip chat, fleep, hook, flow doc. Plithio and Twilio. 
Oh my goodness. So it, it supports all these different things and basically it just keeps you updated, you know, if your app has any any exceptions thrown. Do you know are any of those services you just mentioned services that will send a text message? Yeah, the Plavo and Twilio, both of those will do SMS. Okay. That's fantastic. Yeah. That is uh that's awesome. So that's pretty neat. That would also that would, that would actually make for an awesome core framework feature if you think about it, you know. Put the framework in, put your email address in and Bam. Have you used uh, Bugsnag, the little commercial version? I haven't, no. So we use that at work, and basically everything gets piped into them, and then it has the, the log of all your exceptions, and you get notifications and all that stuff. So, But it is a, a monthly you know, SaaS app, so with this, yeah. you can just do it manually and not have to have that expense. Eric, how much is this Bugsnag? Is it expensive? I think it's like $10 a month for like the basic plan, and then it That's not bad. goes up from there. And it's, uh, they're, Bugsnag is their own thing, right? They're not part of somebody else? Uh, right. As far as I know. Okay. Um, I, cool. I don't know if they're like VC funded or anything like that. I know they're, they've, they've been growing. So I, I assume, I assume they're doing well. Yeah. Oh, it sounds neat. And this package looks pretty neat too. I'm going to have to check that out. That, uh, that definitely is, uh, I'm, I'm excited about that. That's neat. Um, let's see here. What other Laravel related news? Let's save the, uh, let's save the, um, Tax talk until the end, in case anybody doesn't care about taxes or for people who aren't in the U.S. What about Chrome? You want to talk about Chrome? I found something in Chrome that I bet you has been there forever, and I didn't even know it was there. What is that? That is the little bandwidth limiter. So if you go into Chrome's dev tools and you go to the network tab, and, and you have to have the region has to be big enough or else they kind of condense it. You can't see it. About in the middle of the screen, there's a little place where you can say, like, I want to simulate like a... Uh, DSL connection or a mobile connection, and they have different speeds along with different latencies and what have you. And that has been, uh, it's actually been super useful for me at work because we we use, uh, so I'm a SharePoint guy, which is a little different from PHP, but still web related. We use uh, you know SharePoint on-premise and we've also started using SharePoint online. And some people are complaining that the online version is either slower than what we have on-premise or is too slow or whatever. So this has given me a wonderful way to kind of say, well, could it be their network connection? Like, what does the responsiveness look like when we're at this like slower speed, right? So, uh, I think that's a kind of a neat built-in thing. I, I didn't even know it was there. Did you? Did you I, have you seen it before? I did not. Um, I, I assume I haven't seen it. Uh, it's yeah, that, that is kind of neat, you know. Especially like if you're building, you know, anything where you want to see, you know, JavaScript heavy or or um, image heavy. Yeah. Right, right. Um, yeah, that would that makes a lot of sense. It's it's definitely an eye opener. You take up, bring up your site, and then uh, you know put that thing down to like an edge connection, which is like very awful uh, mobile speed, right? And it it's it's you know it's pretty different for the SharePoint online stuff. I think when I slowed it down like too much, it eventually just failed. Like it wouldn't even load the page. Period. No matter how much long you know how much time you gave it. So, um, so that was pretty cool. Another Chrome goodie uh, this week, uh, Eric, you were telling me about, I didn't see this, is this, there's a Chrome extension now that lets you do testing from uh, from within Chrome. And and this almost seemed too good to be true. I, I had to look this up. Uh, Eric, you can tell us a little bit of the details about this. It, it sounds like you download this thing and, it, and you just work with Chrome and it somehow generates Laravel tests, right? Mm-hmm. So how does that work? I guess, I guess it all happens through the plugin. Um, it's it's actually open source, so you can go actually see how all the code is is done and generated. But but what it does is, you know, when you have your form up and and you go through it, you know, clicking around, writing into your form fields and all that, then it automatically converts that into one of Laravel's tests. 
And then once it's done, you can just copy that to your clipboard and move it over to your to your file system. I, I think that's the key thing is when you first told me about this, I was kind of expecting like I didn't know what it was going to be. I thought it was going to be code you had to download. And like, you know, normally when you install something into uh, um, Laravel, you have to modify your composer and all that stuff. Um, this looking at it, it, it is it's just a Chrome plugin. And and what I want everyone who's listening to this to understand when when uh, Eric said you just copy it, what it does is it, it in, you've got a great post on your blog uh, laravel-news.com about this where you can actually see like an animated GIF kind of showing how it works. You type in 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 the top part of Chrome, you type in what you're doing. The bottom part in the developer tools is where this plugin shows up. And as you're doing it, it's writing Laravel code for you, but that code is just sitting in the Chrome browser. And then you have to copy and paste the either all of the code or the parts of the code that you want, and then you can you know paste those into your Laravel project. So I really like this approach to things uh, because I feel like a lot of the things that do like code generation sometimes you know they generate like too much, and it, it's like you you either don't learn or you know if anything goes wrong you don't know enough. This thing like it, it seems like this would encourage me to still understand how testing works within Laravel, uh, but all the tedium of like writing down the names of the fields and things like that. Right. Like this seems to capture that kind of automatically as you're just using this form here. So uh, that's a pretty cool tool. Yeah. That's, that's pretty neat. And, and you hit on something good too, as far as like, if you have a huge form, this has to be a whole lot faster than just writing, writing all that out manually oh, or, God, or yeah. even just copy and paste in each field. Yeah. And, and then if you were in like a company, uh, like a lot of us, I think work independently for the stuff. But if you worked for a, a business, I think this would also let somebody else maybe do the test generation stuff, right? Like they could do it, copy and paste it and email it to you or, or send it to you in Slack, however you communicate these days. And, and, and you know, then the, the developer doesn't have to do quite as much. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, what other Laravel news do we have? I know we have a few other items in queue here. Anything else Laravel related? Yeah. So uh, Titan, Matt uh, Stauffer's company and Adam Wathen created Jigsaw, a flat file um, generator for like building out just flat files sites that you can like host on GitHub or basically anywhere you want. So, yeah. so that launched today and um, it's, it's pretty neat. It's, it's, um, you know, I like it uses blade for the templating um, and then the, the markdown actually for your content pages. But, but I like, um, you know, how it, how that front, I, I think they call it the front matter for the YAML. It actually, you know, uses familiar, kind of familiar blade syntax there which is which is neat so it's it's definitely something pretty cool to check out nice and that's we just covered another one of those last week right wasn't there like at first i thought it was isn't this the same thing but this titan one just came out literally like today as we're recording on friday uh the first which some people would call april fool's day um but this is no no joke it's actually out yeah which um, now this actually released i'm gonna say it released like six months ago and then this is the the new version Oh, okay. They okay. actually so, built a site around it and kind of built the marketing site and all that. So yeah, yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the word marketing site. I think that's uh, something that I'm like more and more aware of. The older I get, is that it's not enough in almost all cases to just put something out there. Like it really has to be like I don't want to say sold per se, but you almost have to treat it as if you're selling it. You know what I mean? Even if you're giving something away free, you know, you look at like Laravel and how much work. Taylor does and getting the website like he doesn't even do the website himself right he gets you know a professional designer to do the website right mm-hmm. um i think that's you know that's good for all of us to remember whether we're doing open source work or whether we're making projects that we hope to one day sell uh for a profit which will tie into our tax segment a little bit later um yeah all that kind of stuff i've been 
researching. I'm, I'm wanting to write a new uh, blog post on like how to write a readme, you know, like, oh, yeah, or write a, a good readme. Because what sure. happens a lot of times for me is I'll go look at these packages and, and basically they don't, I don't want to say that they should be selling me, but they, sh- they don't actually put the end user first, you know, in any of their documentation. Right. They forget that they are the expert and, and they need to explain it to the other people on exactly what this does and why I need it. And Didn't you have a book about that? Like a couple episodes back that you had bought mm. reading the, something about putting the end user first or some user design thing or something. Yeah, I don't remember. Was it an O'Reilly book maybe? Was it uh, the Kathy Sierra? Maybe. Um, yeah, that sounds. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good book. Yeah, that one's that one's good. Um, but see, what was that called? Do you remember the uh, name of it? Yeah, it was called Badass Making Users Awesome. Yeah, which, there you go. Which is that's not really... There. It's, I don't think it's really generated more, it's more to like your product on how to make your product, you know, make your, your end user better as they use your product. But. So, um, yeah, I, I remember you told me about that book before and I bookmarked it. Like I haven't bought it yet, but it's on my list. <laughs> One of these days I'm going to get to it. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, what happened with uh, Userscape? I heard in Ian's podcast that there was some something about some kind of vault or something like that. And he, yeah, is that he, worth talking he released, about? Yeah, it, it's called Vault. It was previously called Paste Vault. And we, actually not we, Ian did it all himself. So he took the old Paste Vault and, and put it under the, you know, the help, help spot domain and branding. And what it does is, you know, when you're when you're answering support, a lot of times you'll need kind of information from users that are is kind of something that you don't want to live in your database forever and you don't want to live in email forever. Um, so what you do is you go and you paste it there and you create your own password and then you send them send that into the, you know, to the end user email that okay. to somebody. And what it does is after a set time that expires and uh, is deleted from the server. And so basically what it does is it prevents, say, like if you ask me for my password and I right. email it to you, then it's always going to be in Gmail in or email. whatever. Yeah, whatever you use. So if I use this instead, then the only thing in, stored in your, you know, in your email would be the expired link and the expired password. I see. So the password itself is still put in this tool and the other person still sees the password. It's basically just a way to keep it out of something that has kind of persistent archive storage like Gmail, basically, right? right? Right. Okay. Yeah, and the password is just something like you create yourself. So like if yeah. you know So it would be like if you were like, "Hey man, can you log into my uh website to do an update cuz you know, I'm I'm out with my family." Um if the password was in a service like this, then you know, you, you wouldn't need to email it to me from your password tool on your phone or whatever. Okay. Cool. Right, yeah. But it, but it expires. Uh, so like say if I say, "Well, here it is for the next 10 minutes, go and get this." Yeah, and then yeah. If, you know, as long as you get it within the ten minutes, you can you can read it. Otherwise, it's, sure. it's kind of gone forever. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, you know, speaking of expires, uh, we're we're rolling out Dropbox at work. I don't know if any if you use Dropbox. I'm oh, sure yeah. most people I have heard it, of it. Yeah, I use it all the time. Uh, I, I really like it a lot, actually. Um, one of the things I you know because we're doing it for work, we we had some formalized training, which almost kind of seemed silly at first because like it's just Dropbox. Come on! But uh, one of the things Dropbox has that's kind of cool is you can share a file. Uh, via a link and the and then that link can expire mm. so if you have like a uh you know a, a, a document that you want to share with somebody you, know, you can set it out there but then say well you know seven days from now it's not good anymore mm. uh, and i've actually used that like oh, what did i need to do i needed to send like a copy of some paperwork to like a doctor's office or an insurance company or something you know what i mean so i 
I did the same thing. I sent them a link to, uh, it was probably like our insurance card, a scan of it. And I didn't want to put that in email, right? Mm -hmm. Because I didn't want to be stuck in their email forever. So I did the same thing. I put it in Dropbox, sent them the Dropbox link, and then set that to expire after seven days. Um, So, you know, totally not Laravel related. Although uh, one of the things I want to do, and this goes kind of into that uh, SQL discussion and and, and stuff we talked about the last couple of weeks with backups and stuff, I still want to get that spatty uh v3 backup setup mm-hmm. and i'm i'm kind of hoping that i can use dropbox as the storage place for that but i need to look into it because what i don't want to do is uh i don't want to have my server have full access to my dropbox account right. because if the server ever gets hacked i don't want people getting to my files mm-hmm. so i need to find out if there's a way to do that there might be or there might not be if there isn't maybe i set up a you know another email account and set up a you know a free dropbox with two gig or whatever and use that for mm-hmm. for that purpose or something um so speaking of MySQL, you know, I, I was just going to report that I had upped my VM on DigitalOcean from 512 to a gig to two gig, and I, I haven't yet changed the database out in any way. I haven't switched to Maria. I haven't done anything. Uh, I, I've got to say it's been holding pretty steady with two gig. I've, I've been getting my regular automatic backup notifications. They're all green. They're all, they're all succeeding. So, um, so that seems to be working. I still want to uh, at some point, maybe switch over to Maria or figure out why MySQL is taking so much RAM. Uh, but in the short term, that was a fix that uh, is now costing me an extra, what is it, an extra 15 bucks a month through DigitalOcean. Okay. But I, I was going to say, so Laravel tweeted yesterday on what they think the problem is. And okay. it's actually a MySQL bug that affects uh, 5.7 um, all the way up through, I think, 5.7.8 through. 5.7.11 or something like that. Sure. So anyway, it's it's in uh the the guy responds. He said, "It's not a memory leak, but a bad design. <laughs> we will use a cap pool of pages instead of per page I/O slot. These scratch pages are required for the transformations. The idea was to avoid mail lock free on every transformation. So basically, hmm. I have no idea what any of that means, but." They but apparently it sounds know like people have identified it, right? Yeah, they know what the problem is. So probably is, the next MySQL will have it fixed, I would imagine. Okay, cool. So that might be something we can look forward to. Uh, another thing on that MySQL thing is uh, a guy named James Fairhurst uh, reached out to me on Slack, and he said he listens to your podcast. Uh, and, and basically what he had said is he uh, he's noticed that the default machines that are set up by Forge don't have any kind of swap file for memory management. And uh, that's something that, you know, it's an interesting topic. Anyway, he's got a couple of articles uh, under his author name, which is at James underscore Fairhurst, F-A-I-R-H-U-R-S-T. And he posts mostly on Medium. So I think if you look for him as an author there, you'll find him. Uh, he talks about how to set up and configure these um, these swap files. And it's only a couple lines you have to issue at the command line, uh, you know, if you SSH into the server. Thanks to James Fairhurst for, for you know, getting in touch with me about that information. And again, you can find him on Medium at James underscore F-A-I-R-H-U-R-S-T. One more Laravel thing before we talk about the taxes, and that is this whole Spark Watch situation. <laughs> so uh, as you regular listeners know, uh, Eric is the champion of the world because he uh, he guessed incorrectly, but closer than I did. I think the way we had worded the, the <laughs> rules of that. Now, there was a post at one point that had like a 100 underlined, and it had uh, some sunshine or something next to it. So I, I wondered if that meant like the hundredth day of the year. If that is the case, that day is April 9th, which uh, is going to be probably, is that, that's like next week, right? Like yeah. that's, 
next that, Saturday. That in theory is like or this so coming if, Saturday when this publishes. Yeah, because we'll publish this probably on Tuesday, April fourth. So as as early as April you know 9th, maybe this thing will actually hit. No way. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. Eric and I are going to have to figure out, do, what do we do about that? Do we do an extra episode or do we just get it and cover it like crazy in the next episode after that? Um, but well, pro- probably after that, that way it gives us time to look at it. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. But I don't, I don't think it's going to be the ninth. We, we, we need to have another bet because uh, I, 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 <laughs> I can't see Taylor releasing on a Saturday, but he, he's proved me wrong before. So, so we don't uh, know. I don't know what the hundred would symbolize if it wasn't the hundredth day. Right. Or the hundredth sunrise or the hundredth sundown. Maybe you do it on a Sunday. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, and if you think about it, like Taylor works for himself, so it doesn't really matter. Like days of the week don't matter. Right. You know what I mean? It's if you, if you had a day job and you were responsible for that day job, then, you know, then you wouldn't maybe want to release it during the week, but it, 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 I don't know. I don't have any favoritism towards one day or the other, but (laughs) folks, my guess is that if if we were going to gamble on this at this point, I would guess that April 9th, or somewhere around there by a day or two is when we're going to see Spark. So I'm hoping by our next episode, we'll have Spark to talk about. I'm, um, I'm going to go on a limb. I'm going to say April 5th. April 5th. <laughs> <laughs> that, that gives him all, all this weekend and then Monday to finish well, up the it documentation. Well, does seem like if you've, if you've been watching his tweets, he does seem like he's kind of getting pretty much... Sounds like the actual product part is done and that it's just documentation and right. you know maybe some unit testing and things like that. So uh, yeah, it could be, it could be. So that would be a nice, uh, a nice treat. Um, So anyway, just so you guys know, if this does, uh, this comes out on Tuesday, we do record these on Friday, a few days before it gives us time to edit and all that kind of stuff. So if, uh, if it's Tuesday and spark just came out and you're not hearing us talk about it, that's why. And we'll have more info about it in the next one. And of course, I'm sure everybody listening to our podcast, you all know about the Laravel official Laravel podcast that's done with uh, Taylor himself. And I think Matt and uh, Jeffrey way. So I assume that anybody listening to us is also listening to them. Uh, If you aren't, you're missing out because they've got some great content as well. Um, So anyway, that's, that's our spark update or lack of (laughs) their, 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 um, one thing I thought would be neat to talk about this week, Eric. So this is kind of our non Laravel thing is doing your taxes in the United States as it relates to anybody who has a, like a would call it like a side business or something. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe Taylor Otwell in the early you know days or anybody who's got like a little SaaS thing. And I feel like you know with Spark coming out, uh, the main advantage I see of Spark is the, the the kind of I mean I guess it does so much stuff, but really the billing being kind of all done. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you've done some of the stuff before, and you wrote that book Easy E Commerce with Laravel and Stripe right. uh, that you co-authored with uh, W. Jason Gilmore, uh, which is a great book. And as you know, it's these are all things that like they're all obtainable, I think, but it's like every extra step a developer has to worry about is that much more. Now I've been working on a little SAS kind of thing and I've deliberately not even looked at billing because I just figured when Spark is released, that's what I'm going to use. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so from a tax perspective, uh, this probably doesn't apply to more than half our listenership because based on our stats, a lot of folks are from either, uh, you know, overseas, the UK, uh, you know, Germany, we have a lot of folks with Canada, all that stuff. But at least as, as far as U.S. folks, which is you know probably our biggest per- single percentage as far as uh, listeners, um, if you've never made money on the side before, uh, you're in for a real treat if you ever do. So what happens is you know we all go to work and at regular jobs, and we tell them what our tax information is, like our social security number, and they take the taxes out. And at the end of the year, you fill out your tax form, and you know maybe you owe some, maybe they owe you some. That's kind of how it works for normal folks. As soon as you start doing your own side work uh 
well, and, and I'm going to go on to the assumption that you're being honest about it and that you're reporting the income, right? Because I'm sure some people put cash in their pocket or whatever. But if you're reporting the income, then uh, that goes on to your tax form. I want to say, Eric, I think it's a Schedule C. And the, the actual, the, the, this isn't a tax lesson. I'm not a tax attorney, so I'm not teaching you how to do your tax. I'm just giving you some strategies and, and some things to think about as, as it relates to this stuff. Um, where you basically, you put in your income from these little side projects on the side. And the key difference is, is that uh, when you make side money, it, it, you're not an employee of that company. So if, you're, if your side job is like you work for, uh, you know, I don't know, Domino's Pizza delivering pizza, you know, pizzas, then they're going to ask for your stuff and they're going to, they're going to, you know, they're going to take taxes out as they pay you. But if you're getting paid cash, for example, you have a SaaS uh, and, and people are paying you, you know, $10 a month or whatever. That's what I'm talking about. So uh, the, the interesting thing is, as a U.S. person, you get hit pretty hard on that money. In addition to having to pay tax on it, you also have to pay like another 7.5% tax for Social Security. So what I didn't realize when I started all this, Eric, is that your employer, like you're getting paid by Userscape right now. So Userscape pays a 7.5% Social Security tax, and you pay a 7.5% Social Security tax. That, that tax is split. When, when you make money on your own, you pay all 15% of that. So there's like an extra 7.5% that gets levied on there. Um, and I think that's up to a certain dollar amount. So like if you make, I don't know, if you make a hundred and something grand, then maybe after that, you don't have to pay that extra amount. But uh, that's something to watch out for. And I guess the big thing I would communicate is that when you have side income, you're able to deduct expenses that you that an ordinary taxpayer cannot. For example, if you have a SaaS, uh, you can deduct you know the, the cost of a laptop. You need a laptop to do the development, right? You might deduct, uh, you know, the cost of whatever percentage of your mobile phone and your mobile phone bill are used to do the the business operation and stuff like that. So um, definitely things to think about if you're ever going to start making money on the side um, and definitely worth talking to an accountant. But, you know, ask the right questions because we had an accountant do our taxes. I don't even know. Maybe they, Eric, you know what? Maybe they weren't even an accountant. Maybe they were a tax person. And I just didn't feel like like, like I needed someone to stop me and say, no, don't do it this way. Do it that way. It'll save you a bunch of money, right? Like, that's what I feel like your tax person should be doing. And if they're not, if all they're doing is saying, yep, here's the money you owe. Well, then they're not, you know, to me, they're not really like giving you the options that you need to, to make smart decisions. I've actually done my own taxes using uh, TurboTax. And the thing I like about that, although it was really a pain in the beginning, is it, it really helped me understand like the, you know, the ins and outs of like what can be deducted and what can't. And it helps me. What I do now is when I get like expenses for things, like if a you know if I order something online, I I print out the email and I save that in a folder that I have called tax. And that way, at the end of the year, I can go into that folder and I have all these expenses like right there. One more tip I do want to share. Uh, this is just rumor. I just heard this from a neighbor. I don't know if it's true. I don't know the real person. My neighbor says that she has a friend who has a business and that she got audited. And I think if you're in the United States, there's probably nothing that you want to happen to you less than being audited by the IRS, right? Everyone says it's an uncomfortable experience. This person claims that she had a great experience. And what happened was she got called into the audit. And I want you to imagine a person who's very organized and they walk into an audit with a three ring binder that has a summary spreadsheet of all of their income and expenses and everything, everything listed out item by item. And then I want you to picture that behind that spreadsheet in this three ring binder are eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper with, you know, three hole punch, whatever, that every one of them has a piece of supporting evidence to that. So for example, if she's deducting a phone bill, uh, the phone bill was in this binder. If she's deducting, you know, uh, whatever business trip expenses, 
they're stapled to a piece of paper in this binder. The story that I heard is that she went to the auditor's office. The auditor asked her some questions, started to look through the book, got four or five items into it, closed the book, handed it to her and said, you can go. And, and, and she was like, well, wait, don't you want to look through everything? And he says, no, you, you know, he's like, most of the people that come in here are totally disorganized. They might have a box full of receipts. They can't find things. They've deducted stuff. Things don't add up. He's like, I can, I can tell in five minutes by looking at your stuff that everything you see on the front page is going to be there on the back page. Anything else is going to be a waste of my time. So I, the lesson I took away from that is it doesn't hurt to be organized. I think this is a good lesson for anyone in any country with your expenses and, and, and to have all that stuff documented. And like one of the rules that I do is even if I bought something, if I can't find the receipt for it, I don't deduct it because uh, it's just not worth it at, at, at audit time to be like, well, yeah, that one I lost the receipt on. So. I have a simple method on what I do is uh, I have a whole new. And by the way, I'm just waiting for this because like Eric is like such a genius. Like I'm waiting for this to be like 3000 times better than what I just said. And like, and like, you know, it takes like less time and, you know, it's just better. So, Let's hear it. So mine's pretty simple. You, uh, so whenever I, on my side work, I have a whole new checking account and I have a whole new credit card and, okay. and I feed both of those and then PayPal. And then I feed bo- all that into QuickBooks. Okay. And so QuickBooks just automatically updates, you know, every week or something and I categorize it. And then at the end of the year, when it's tax time, I do the pro- I print off my profit and loss statement. I give it to my accountant. And, you know, if he has any questions on what, what exactly this is or what, then, then we go through it. But basically, you know, with it all outlined like that, he, he can usually do it pretty, pretty quick. He's like, okay, okay, you know, here's your cell phone. Here's your, here's your office. Here's your whatever. So, yeah. So that, that, that method works good for me. Cause then I don't have to keep up with anything. Cause it's all right there in my, well, you're doing it. You, you're, it sounds like you're keeping up with it throughout the year. Right. right. Well, QuickBooks is doing it for me. So yeah. yeah. So I don't have to actually do anything other than categorize it as it comes in. So when QuickBooks, so you're saying QuickBooks will go and download your transactions from the credit card and from the bank and from PayPal, mm-hmm. and then they just come in as like essentially untagged transactions, and you just have to go in and say, oh, that was for phone expense or that was for right. uh, rent or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's well, it, good and it, it learns as you do it. So like if something comes in from Verizon, and then it it automatically knows it's the phone bill, so it'll automatically nice. categorize it. So it's now. Eric, you're a Mac user. Are you using the Mac version of QuickBooks or are you using their online offer? The online, yeah. Okay. Whatever and what is the that, cheapest. <laughs> what does that cost you? I think it's like $14 a month or something like that. Okay. But but I, I like not having to deal with anything, so that kind of frees me up from having to think yeah. about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's also a tough situation, whereas I think like a lot of small startups, you know, if you think that you're only going to make 500 bucks in the year, it's kind of hard to say, well, I'll spend... 200 or 180 on accounting software, right? Like it's easy when you're userscape size or when you're, mm-hmm. you know, uh, when you, when you hit it big, but in the beginning, I know people like to keep it cheap. I certainly did when I was, you know, when I was getting started. And another tip too, if, if you are building like a SaaS app, keep, keep it separated from everything else of your accounting, you know, have its own Stripe account, have its own server, have its own everything. And that way, if you ever wanted to sell it, you can actually move everything without having to, to go back through all these messy, messy records of everything you've ever oh, done. Oh, yeah. Um, now, let me ask you, if you did that, would you also have a separate QuickBooks account for that SaaS app? Or does that does QuickBooks, does does one account allow you to like kind of sort that stuff out? Um, I'm not sure. I would probably put all that together because if you're only taking payments, you know, if you're only taking payments through Stripe, you can just look at your Stripe history and see your sure. you know, all that. But, you know, that's a good question. I, I would probably either categorize it you know, as this is for this SaaS app, or I would 
create a second account or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I like the idea of the separate account. I mean, that, that totally does make sense, right? If your end goal is that you want to try to flip it, so to speak, right? Like a, people that build these houses or, uh, you know, fix up houses and flip them, right? Then, yeah, as much separation as you can have, that's a great idea. Yeah. I haven't gotten that far, so I don't have to worry about that yeah. yet. But Yeah. And then, and then another thing too, like what my accountant told me, of, of course, we'll prefix this was we're not accountants. So, right. right. <laughs> so this is just hearsay. Uh, but, you know, once you make a certain amount of money, then you you basically need to incorporate and, and create your corporation. That way you'll actually save money on your taxes than, you know, with all those percentages and everything else. That way you're not, um, you're not, you're not hit with all that at the end of the year. Right. And what I always did when I, when, before I worked for Userscape, I had my own company is we would take 20% and put that aside. And that was always left aside for taxes because we, okay. we always ended up having to pay those you know, quarterly taxes or whatever you're estimated. Yeah. Um, So it's always a pain. There's, there's so many different ways of setting up a uh, tax entity in the United States. And I assume in other countries, it's the same. I think in Canada, you have something called numbered, numbered companies or something like that. You get like a number and run your company that way. But in the U S you've got uh, sole proprietorship, you've got LLCs, you've got corporations, you have S corporations. um, And, and again, these are all things that I think a, you know, a good tax person or a good accountant should be able to help you say, like like Eric just mentioned, right? You know, you got some mm-hmm. some tips that said, when you get to this point, this is what you want to do. So, hey, by the way, uh, so speaking of Eric being a genius, I did have some actual uh, Laravel development this week that I did that I think, uh, you know, that Eric kind of bailed me out on. And I feel like that's worth talking about, you know, like bonus Laravel content at the end of the podcast. Um, what do you think, Eric? Is that worth mentioning? Sure, might as well. So, <laughs> I was trying to. And I, create... Wait, I, I want to prefix this. I am not a genius. I just kind of <laughs> fiddle fiddle my way through life. <laughs> well, you know, maybe in life, what happens is it's like uh, it's like you know, um, you're a genius relative to like every question I ask you. You have the right answer for, and sometimes like the painfully simple answer, which was like kind of almost this week. So, what I was trying to do is, I uh. I've got a fairly involved relational database structure where I use a lot of tables to do a lot of things. And it's, it's to the point where let me I guess I describe what I'm trying to do. Uh, I do for the SharePoint stuff I do, I organize these little uh, conferences, right? And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm trying to create a scheduling app for that purpose, right? So uh, one of those conferences typically has, let's say there might be eight classrooms that are open at once. And we'll have, let's say, five time slots throughout the day. So eight times five is 40 classes that have to be scheduled with people and that kind of thing, right? So I'm trying to build a scheduler for that. And I want it to be laid out in the form of like this grid. So you've got your classrooms across the top and on the left-hand side, kind of like think about Excel on the left-hand side, you've got your time slots and and then, you know, like Eric's going to speak in room one uh, at nine o'clock and Jack's going to speak in room two at nine o'clock and then, you know, and that kind of thing. So I, I was trying to build out this grid. Well, I have a table that has the time slots in it. And I have a table that has the room numbers in it. Uh, and and to get like all of the data required a pretty complicated query with a lot of joins. Like I I couldn't find a way to do it using um, Eloquent. And that was okay because I understand SQL a little bit. But um, what I couldn't then figure out is how do I get that giant, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, the mess of, a, of query results into a blade template right so i was asking like you know uh, eric i'm like can can i call you know queries directly from blade and he was like well you could do it this way but why would you want to and then we started talking and, and eric's answer was really simple it was to take the results and throw them into an array 
and normally that's pretty straightforward if you're just going one dimensionally, right? Like if you're just going to go like, you know, everything's going straight down in a list, but this is kind of a cross matrix. My, you know, my, my grid of uh, let's say eight classrooms wide by five classrooms down. Well, that's not how it's stored in the database. I don't have, you know, I don't have a database that has, you know, eight fields, one for each room number, right? Like it's, it's completely denormalized. There's a field for what's the room number. There's a field for what's the, um, you know, what's the time slot and a field for like, what's the ID of the presentation and things like that. So uh, as it worked out by using a multi-dimensional array, I was able to really easily loop through this stuff on the controller and then pass that to the blade template. And because it was a multi-dimensional array, it was also then very easy to loop through that way. So uh, I'm sure this is probably not nearly as coherent hearing it as it is seeing it, but that I just thought it was kind of neat and it worked out really good. And it was like, it was way easier than I kind of had anticipated it was going to be. And, and like the, the array thing worked out great on both sides. So, uh, so that was my Laravel programming <laughs> thing of the week. Yes. Sounds good. I don't, get, get, I don't, don't, don't be querying from a uh, blade or you'll be uh, chastised by, <laughs> you'll be kicked by out. The champ, by the champion <laughs> yeah, of the world. You'll be kicked out. <laughs> so I think that's a, uh, that's all I have for this week. How about you? Anything else? Um, I do not think so. I, I am crossing my fingers and hoping that by this time, two weeks from now, we will have so much to talk about that we won't even know what to do. <laughs> and that's, of course, mean that we hope that uh, that Spark comes out. Yeah, sounds good. Hopefully so. Yeah. Um, also, a reminder, if you haven't registered for Laricon uh, US or EU, I think tickets are still available for both of those. Um, when is Laricon this year? Is it in July? Moved it forward a little bit, right? July 27th through 29th. In yeah, Louisville. and I don't remember I don't remember EU, but theirs is coming up as well. So awesome. Well, Eric, thanks again. Yeah. Listeners, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you see everyone back in a couple weeks. Thank you. This concludes this episode of the Laravel News Podcast. If you like the show, please rate it five stars on iTunes. If you have feedback for the podcast, please email us at podcast at laravel-news.com. Thanks for listening. You want to do the intro? Don't forget to mention that you're the champion of the world. No, we've already done that. Well, I, I, thought, that the, the, I thought that went for a year. Oh, did it? I thought so. Maybe. <laughs> we, we, can, we can, yeah, we can add it in.